Good evening, everyone. We have a real live paradigm shifter, uh, one that you've all heard of, I'm sure, Dr. Joe Dispenza. And what I want to say to you, Dr. Dispenza, is, hi, I'm a genius. <laughs> I just watched your YouTube, right? <laughs> you, where you told your whole audience to say that to one another. Do you remember that? I do, I do. I start my lectures that way because I honestly believe that when people affirm that they're a genius, amazing things come out of their mouth. And so when we start our workshops, uh, we give a lot of science and a lot of information, but uh, we make it simple enough for people to grab a hold of. But I want people to know that everybody's a genius, and it just takes a little bit of effort to arrive there. Well, you know, um, for those of you who don't know, Dr. Dispenza was that wonderful being in what the bleep who was saying every day, I start my day by, cre what is it, how is it you put it? We've all used that line on each other. Well, listen, if you're going to begin to interact with the quantum field, this infinite field of possibility, and you're going to create in your future, then you've got to know that it's real. So you have to begin to evoke it and ask for a sign. But the sign should come in a way that you least expect, that surprises you and leaves no doubt that what you did inside of you produced some result outside of you. And when we can correlate the changes in how we think and feel inside of us with the feedback that we get in our external world, we'll pay attention to what we did and we'll do it again. And that's when we begin to become inspired and empowered about us at cause in our life instead of living by effects in our life. Well, now you started off being, what, a chiropractor, but you've got, like, brain scans, neuroscience. You've got all kinds of scientific uh, ways of explaining and uh, sort of revisualizing for us the logic of this. It's not magic and it's not just a miracle. It's the logic of our potential, isn't it? Well, I think science is the contemporary language of mysticism. I think science is the oh, language neat. to explain the unexplainable. That's great. Well, tell people about where you started just quickly so that we'll, when we launch into the bigger stuff, we know uh, how you climbed up this ladder of awareness. Well, I never planned on doing any of this. It started out in 1986. <laughs> I got run over by a truck in a triathlon and uh, wound up breaking six vertebrae in my spine and was never supposed to work, walk again. And uh, <clears throat> I had bone fragments on the cord, and they were recommending a radical uh, surgical procedure and uh, was facing paralysis at the time. And I figured I wasn't going anywhere or doing anything. And for the most part, I was laying face down. So I oh thought, my. well, if there's an intelligence that gives us life, maybe I'll have time to begin to connect with it. Hmm. So um, that's what I did. I spent a lot of time beginning to interact with this power within us. And, and uh, were, were you were you a religious man, or had you been raised in philosophy of any kind? No, I think uh, I think I just had enough understanding at the time about some philosophical concepts based in science and spirituality and my exposure to different um, concepts that I was real, really willing to try it out. I mean, I, was, I decided to forego the surgery and, and really make an effort to heal myself, which mm. at the time was so unconventional. So I said, look, two things. I'm going to connect with this intelligence. I'm going to give it a plan. I'm going to give it a template. I'm going to give it a design. And then I'm going to get out of the way and I'm going to surrender the healing to a greater mind. And the second thing I'm going to do is I'm not going to let any thought slip by my awareness. Uh, were you scared at all? I mean, were oh you... my God, are you kidding me? No. <laughs> I, I was very scared, and I think that uh, you know when you're facing a, a crisis or a trauma like that, that you have every reason in the world to be emotional and to be afraid and to focus on the worst case scenario instead of on the best case scenario. And so, it was a really, really profound time in my life because I went from a philosopher. You know, because on some level we're all, all philosophers. Right. Into initiating that philosophy to begin to experience uh, the, the truth of what the philosophy had to offer or the wisdom and, of it. And were you already a chiropractor? Mm -hmm. I was. I was practicing in San Diego in, in La Jolla in Southern California. Mm. And uh, <clears throat> I was in a triathlon uh, when it happened. So I had a good understanding about the spine, which was I was lucky. Mm -hmm. And uh, I believed in the innate intelligence that, that heals the body. So... I know that that intelligence works to a certain degree, but I was asking it and um, and ask and, and be willing it to, to take it to the next level. And so, in about ten and a half weeks, I was back on my feet with no body cast, no surgery, no, no ten paralysis. and a half weeks. Come on, that's yeah. like I'm not even. <clears throat> yeah, it was four pretty months. miraculous. And so that started my journey. And I said, 
listen, if I'm ever able to walk again, I'll spend the rest of my life studying this concept. So that started me on the journey. And uh, and then I uh, sold my practice in Southern California and moved to Pacific Northwest and took some time off and started asking some bigger questions and took a little more of a spiritual approach to life. And uh, And then I started studying spontaneous remissions from disease and wrote my first book called Evolve Your Brain. And there were four commonalities that I saw with people that were diagnosed with serious conditions that were treating conventionally or unconventionally and either staying the same or getting worse, and all of a sudden they got better. So... I traveled to 17 different countries and interviewed many, many people and figured out for myself uh, what was actually taking place with them. And it was, it was so astounding I had to go back to school and get a degree in neuroscience because it was definitely about the mind. So hmm. after that, what the bleep came out, it became an overnight sensation. And, uh, and then the most common question that we heard after what the bleep or after people read my first book was, well, it's good information, but how do we do it? How do we create the life we want, and how do we change our minds? So we started teaching workshops around the, the world about um, the, this practice. And first couple of years, things were okay. And then right around the second year, all of a sudden, it's like the gates broke open. We started getting these emails that people were healing themselves of MS and lupus and cancer and chronic pain and food allergies and Hashimoto syndrome. We started seeing some very, very important and significant changes by people applying the, the, the knowledge. And, and I think this is a time in history where it's not enough to know. It's a time in history to know how. And so the workshops we started teaching were based on the how-to. And then one workshop led to a, a, a level two workshop that led to a level three workshop, and then it kept progressing. And all of a sudden we started having people wanting more and more, and we started having very, very strong transformations taking place right during our events, during our workshops. Hmm. Now, this became a very, very important moment for me because I started to realize that I was actually really making a difference in people's lives and people were getting up and having all kinds of experiences. And so that led to the next question, well, gosh, if it's happening in real time, we should be able to measure it. So in the last year or so, we've been in our advanced workshops bringing in neuroscientists and quantum physicists to measure not only what's happening in people's brains or happening in their bodies or happening in their energy field around their bodies, but also what's happening in the energy field of the room. How is subjective mind producing an effect in the objective world? And we have some really astounding research to show that that uh, we know what's going on when people make um, uh, transformational steps for themselves. And so uh, and the, uh, the concept is information leads to transformation. If you can measure transformation, that's more information to teach transformation better, and that's that's where I'm at right now. Talk about spiraling. And so there is a coherency in the room, is there? Meaning uh, when several people transform, there's kind of a, uh, a common or a shared vibrational medium, is that right? Yeah, you know, it's all energy, and uh, it was so amazing because uh, on our last event in Phoenix in February, the energy in the room, was not only coherent, but it was very, very expanded. It was about 3,800 joules when we started the event. And by the fourth day, it was up to 5,800 joules at the wow. end of the event. That's a significant, a significant um, level of uh, uh, enhanced energy. And people were contributing to that because they were coming out of those limited emotions of frustration and impatience and unworthiness and insecurity, you know, those emotions that, Psychology tells us those are normal states of consciousness. Those are altered states of consciousness. And they were moving into elevated states. They were experiencing true gratitude and, and inspiration and joy. And that, that's what causes the particle to move to the wave. That's when energy begins to become enhanced. And uh, we measured it, and we saw some pretty, pretty profound measurements. And so uh, we know what we're doing is making a difference. Wow. And your, so your latest book is called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, which I think is a precious title, actually, because it's, it's what we're... I like what you said. You said uh, those things like worthlessness, those are altered states, right? Absolutely. They're driven by a primitive uh, and neuroendocrinological system that's based on survival. You know, when you're mm -hmm. being chased by a lion or there's a predator hanging around the corner you're turning on a nervous system that's going to cause you to act in very primitive ways. And the emotions of those um, those states are everything to do with anger and aggression and, and frustration and hatred and judgment and fear and anxiety and 
hopelessness and powerlessness and depression. That's the effect of running those hormones long-term. And all organisms in nature can handle the short-term effects of those, those stress hormones because when we react to something in our life, we're turning on that nervous system for an emergency situation in our external environment. Mm-hmm. That's healthy because that's how you're going to survive against some predator. But human beings are a little different. We can turn on that stress response just by thought alone. And as we think about our problems or we think about our past or our future, we're knocking our body out of physiological balance just by the thought of it. And so if you keep knocking the body out of balance, that imbalance becomes the new balance and you're headed for a disease. So we have experiences in our life that brand us emotionally, and then we memorize those emotional states and we view our life through the lens of the past. And this is where we get in trouble because we can't see possibility because those veils are altering our perception. That's right. They kind of filter the perception possibilities, don't they? They absolutely filter the perception. But what do you do with the? I mean, people have to, I mean, we all get the emotions. How do you experience those that make it uh, transformable? You see what I mean? Well, that's a great question. I think feelings and emotions are the end product of past experiences, and we can remember experiences better because we can remember how we feel. Mm -hmm. And when you're in the midst of a novel experience or any experience, all of your five senses plug you into the environment. And as your brain is gathering all of this vital sensory information from everything you're seeing and smelling and tasting and feeling and hearing, all of your five senses are picking up all this information and all of it's rushing back to your brain through those five different pathways. The moment that information reaches your brain, it causes jungles of neurons to begin to organize themselves into networks and patterns. The moment those neurons string into place, another part of the brain makes a chemical, and that chemical is called a feeling or an emotion. So you can remember the birth of your first child. You can remember your first kiss. You can remember um, getting a promotion. You can remember your wedding day. You can remember all of these events because you were altered in some way. And you can, most Americans can tell you where they were on 9-11, who they were mm-hmm. with, what they were doing, you know, the time of day it was, because you could say that everything that they were seeing and hearing in that moment changed how they were feeling inside of them. And the moment they felt altered inside of them, they paid attention to what caused it outside of them. And that event in and of itself is called a memory. So if feelings and emotions are the end product of past experiences, and we're living by the same feelings every single day, it means two things. First, when nothing new is happening in our life. And secondly, those emotions are keeping us anchored to the past. Now, if those emotions drive the same thoughts and those thoughts keep driving the same emotions, you keep thinking and feeling and feeling and thinking in the same way, over time, you will condition the body to memorize that state as well as the conscious mind. And when the body knows as well as the mind, that's called a habit. A habit is when your body is your mind. So 95% of who we are by the time we're 35 years old, a set of memorized behaviors, emotional reactions, beliefs, perceptions, and attitudes that function like a subconscious automatic computer program. So then, And that you makes your identity, which you take very seriously, right? Oh, my gosh, because how you think and how you feel creates a state of being. Mm. Thoughts are the language of the brain, and feelings are the language of the body. And how you think and how you feel creates a state of being. Here's an example. If you think an insecure thought, you're going to begin to feel insecure. The moment you feel insecure, you're going to think more insecure thoughts. And this cycle people do for years on end until they say, I am insecure. Whenever we say, I am insecure, what we're saying is my mind and body are aligned to a destiny. So then Mm -hmm. if feelings and emotions are the end product of past experiences, Mm -hmm. and you can't think greater than how you feel, or feelings have become the means of thinking, then by very nature, by the very definition, you're thinking in the past. Because the emotions then keep you anchored to the past. So then you keep creating more of the same. So we, emotions keep us anchored to the past, or we can use emotions, elevated emotions, to drive us to a new future. Hmm. And elevated, okay, okay so if you could just say more, because I'm going elevated emotions, I'm going into my own reality and thought process here, but it's so interesting. You sort of ratchet up the feeling, like if it's fear. Well, think about this. <clears throat> Most people are always trying to predict their future based on their past. 
They're trying to anticipate what's going to happen, and they're going to get ready for the bad news or the worst-case scenario. Right. And when we get it right, we pat ourselves on the shoulder and we say, God, you know, see how smart I am? I knew it was coming. You need to hang out with me. But what happens <laughs> when it doesn't happen? Right. As you begin to anticipate some event and you begin to focus on that event, and you make that event more real than anything else, and that's the privilege of being a human being. The moment you emotionally embrace that future event that only exists as a potential in the quantum field, but you're anticipating the known, your body as the unconscious mind begins to physiologically change to believe that it's in that future event in the present moment. And now your body literally is in the future instead of in the present. But that future is because it's the same as the past. And so when we when we when we when we anticipate the event and it doesn't happen and we're knocking our brain and body out of normal balance that's called anxiety that's called you know depression that's called insomnia that's called obsessive compulsive disorder it's called neurosis because we're in a state of vigilance in which we're anticipating the future based on the past and so now most people will medicate or do something to create some type of balance now i'm talking about elevated emotions that like when your wealth finally shows up or your new lover finally appears. You know, most people say, well, I'll give thanks when my wealth finally shows up and my <laughs> abundance is here, then I'll be happy, or my new lover shows up, then I'll feel love and be joyful. That's the old model of reality, of cause and effect, waiting for something outside of you to change how you feel inside of you. And then when you feel better, then you, you give thanks. That's Newtonian physics, cause and effect. The quantum model of reality says it's causing an effect. So then when you marry a clear intention, which is a thoughtful process, with an elevated emotion, like you're giving thanks before the event has occurred, mm -hmm. your body as the unconscious mind begins to believe that that future reality is happening to you in the present moment, and you are moving into a new state of being. And a new state of being is a new personality, and a new personality creates a new personal reality. That is so wonderful. I mean, it's really exciting. So you're talking here about neuroplasticity is the brain's ability to be changed by this kind of thing. Is that what that means? Well, let's think about this because uh, plasticity is, allows us really to modify our behaviors and change our state of being to do a better job in life. But mm -hmm. if you think 60 to 70,000 thoughts in one day, which most people do, and out of those 60 to 70,000 thoughts that you think in one day, 90% of those thoughts are the same thoughts as the day before. Well, the same thoughts will lead to the same choices. The same choices will lead to the same behaviors. The same behaviors will create the same experiences, and the same experiences will produce the same emotions, and those same emotions and feelings will drive the same thoughts. And, and that, your identity again. Isn't that it? is your personality. So yeah. then now your biology, your neurocircuitry, your genetics will be a direct, your chemical makeup will be a direct reflection of your state of consciousness. So then your personality creates your personal reality, and your personal reality is made up of how you think, how you act, and how you feel. So the present personality who's listening on this call has created the present personal reality called their life, which means if you want to create a new personal reality, a new life, then you have to start thinking about the thoughts you've been thinking about and decide if you want to put your energy behind them and choose differently. You're going to have to notice the unconscious habits and behaviors that you've been living by and become conscious of those unconscious behaviors and begin to demonstrate different actions. You have to look at the emotions that you've memorized that's become part of your identity. That isn't who you really are, by the way, which most people think that's who they are. Mm -hmm. And then decide, can you teach your body emotionally what it feels like to be wealthy, to be healthy, to be free, to be in love with life? And you begin to convince your body emotionally the moment you emotionally embrace the event before it takes place, your body doesn't know the difference between the actual experience in your life that produces the emotion and the emotion that you fabricate by thought alone. And the moment that happens, you're literally signaling new genes in new ways, and now you're no longer living in the past. Your body now is living in a new future. So not only is the brain plastic where there's plasticity, so is the point of view that we're seeing in front of us, right? Absolutely. So there's a change neurologically in the brain because the moment you begin to think differently, you're making your brain fire in new sequences and new patterns and new combinations. And whenever you make the brain change or work differently, you're changing your mind because mind is the brain in action. Mm -hmm. The moment you emotionally embrace the event before it actually takes place, you begin to signal new genes in new ways and you're no longer headed for your genetic destiny 
because your body is getting new emotional information from the expectation of the event and the environment. When you change the way you think physically and the way you feel emotionally and physically, now you're in a new state of being. Now you're going to begin to perceive reality differently, and you're going to see things that have always existed, but you didn't have the mind to see them because you were looking through your lens of the past and you couldn't see the reality in front of you. Mm. Do you have any examples of people, for example, that took... Uh, this seriously enough to work with their own physical difficulties or mental difficulties? Oh, my God, we see it. We, we get emails every single week. Uh, uh, let's see, a, a young woman um, living in Phoenix, Arizona in a very, very unhealthy relationship. She's a 32-year-old female and um, very, very stressful conditions. She's feeling frustration and impatience and resentment. Every single day, the same experiences produce the same emotions. Those survival or stress emotions dysregulate and downregulate genes that create disease. She's 32 years old. All of a sudden, she's starting to get super fatigued. Her hair is falling out of her head. A uh, very attractive woman, and she's, she goes to the doctor. The doctor runs the blood test and says, you know, listen, you have a thyroid condition. You have Hashimoto's syndrome. Uh, you're going to need to be on thyroid medication for the rest of your life. Yeah. And she came to some of our workshops. Uh, she applied the work, and she said, listen, I am not going to get up from my meditation as the same person who sat down. At the end of my meditation, I am going to be in love with life. That's the, that's the deal. So now the process of change requires unlearning and relearning. It requires breaking the habit of the old self and reinventing a new self. So It could take a long time, could it? It could, but in her case, she just became conscious of her unconscious thoughts and decided that she would never let those thoughts slip by her awareness again. Those thoughts were connected to the old personality, the old self. Mm -hmm. She began to pay attention to her behaviors. She was complaining and blaming and making excuses and feeling sorry for herself. She became conscious of those behaviors and decided those behaviors lead to certain experiences that create the same emotions. And she looked at the emotions. I'm resentful, I'm frustrated, I'm bitter. And she said, that's not part of my future. And every day as she became familiar with the old self, the more conscious she became of the old self, the more she could observe it. It means she was no longer the program, but she was the consciousness now observing the program. And that's when we begin to objectify our subjective mind. Now, here's the key. She started to say to herself, well, what is a greater expression of myself? How can I reinvent a new self? How do I want to think? How do I want to act? How do I want to feel? And she said, I'm not going to get up until I feel like I'm this person. Now, this is greatness, mm -hmm. because the moment she started to fall in love with life again, the moment she started to give thanks, the moment she was excited about a future, she was no longer signaling the same genes in the same way, and she was no longer firing and wiring the same circuits in her brain. And in time, she got up as a new state of being, and she walked back into the doctor's office, and she said, listen, I know I'm better. You can take my blood test. And, of course, they took her blood, and it was absolutely normal. They asked her to come back a second day because they thought something was wrong. She came back the second day. Her blood values were still normal. I just had uh, dinner with her in Phoenix uh, a couple months ago. She's got a whole new life. She's got a hot Italian boyfriend. She's <laughs> teaching transformation in the world. And she gets to do everything that she's doing. And she said to me, my God, I am so in love with life. And I said to her, Susie, you're in love with life because that's the emotion you created from, you know, in your past. And, of course, now you're, you're reaping the benefits of this new personality. How exciting. That's, that's a wonderful story. So what about a physical ailment like uh, besides Hashimoto? I mean, besides a, a disease like that, what if somebody's got a broken limb or that kind of thing? Is it, well, have you had any experiences like that? Acute trauma. Uh, That's a good word for it, acute trauma. We don't really deal too much with acute trauma. We deal more with um, chronic conditions that are equal to a state of being. So uh, I don't really have a whole lot of experience in that because um, most people who, who are in acute trauma are going to an emergency room. So mm -hmm. we don't spend a lot of time. But what about uh, things like bipolar or that kind of thing? Well, here's our theory on bipolar disorder. And if, you're, if you have a you have a problem with your brain, uh, then the first thing you got to do is you got to take care of it. You got to make sure that your brain is in chemical balance 
and then once you get it in balance and it's tuned up, which means you might have to take some medication, and you got that organ tuned up, then we can begin to make significant changes. And, and we have a lot of folks that have come off their medications from all types of conditions, but we work with their physicians and doctors and therapists to do that. But we've seen people with Parkinson's disease that have very, very hyper-coherent brains that are struggling and way out of balance all of a sudden their brain is absolutely normal and their tremors go away. We've seen that. We, we've actually scanned their, their brains. We have people with traumatic brain injuries where their brain is hypocoherent, where the light bulb has gone from 50 watts to 20 watts. There's not a lot of activity in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, four days later, they got a normal brain. Hmm. So we know that um, when you try to use the ego to change the ego, when you try to use the brain to change the brain, when you try to use the program to change the program, the brain works harder and it never works. But when you start teaching people how to become pure consciousness and how to begin to get beyond their body, beyond their environment, and beyond time, we see some pretty miraculous changes take place. And that's why we hired the neuroscientists and the, and the team to do that, because we're measuring that information. And our next event in July that we have in Denver for our advanced group, we're bringing in HeartMath Institute and we're going to measure heart rate variability with brain coherence, and uh, and uh, we're going to kind of couple those and to see where we can go with all of this. Mm. Um, I want to go back just for a minute to um, babies and children. Uh, we know that how we see one another has a huge impact as well, how we project. can Do people work with children that way? Well, children, you know... <laughs> They're amazing because, for the most part, everybody's always worried about a child not getting, you know, not understanding this. But children's brains, you know, for the first six years of their life, they're in their subconscious brains. Their their neocortical activity is very limited. So, for the most part, <clears throat> everything that you tell a child is going in unedited because they have no analytical mind. Now, you don't tell a child that they can walk on water without the proper training, but Teaching children to see and manage their internal states and being able to change their attitude in a matter of seconds and teaching them that thoughts manifest and teaching that thoughts are things and setting up conditions for them to understand that in a methodical and um, progressive way, then, of course, you know, you can see some pretty, pretty powerful kids come out of this because if they're laying down the tracks neurologically as the foundation uh, of their new of their personality equal to what they're learning and what they're being taught, then um, they're going to have a very different experience of life than the child who is video gaming all day long and and, and is uh, is uh, you know emotionally out of balance. And so I, I spent a lot of time when my children were young, uh, helping them embrace these concepts, and uh, they're pretty amazing kids today. And how, how old are they now? Like, for example, how long have you been working with them since they were born? <laughs> well, my old, you know, my, I have three kids, and they're, and they're, I have one teenager and then a two in their 20s. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, they all, they all get it. You know, my daughter's, my daughter, you know, my 23-year-old daughter is probably the best creator I've ever seen. She, she just gets it. She just knows how to do it. and um, I, I, I listened ever... to your YouTube where she was manifesting at 15, doing really well. Oh, she, uh, I have no doubt with her. I mean, I always, as a matter of fact, as a parent, when she tells me, you know, I help her, you know, I ask her what her intention is. What do you want to experience next? And intention is getting clear on what you want. So she'll say, I want to go here. I want to do this. I want to have this experience. I want to do that. And, and, and sometimes when she tells me as a parent, I'm thinking, oh, my God, she's delusional. There's just no way this is going to happen. <laughs> but I have to step out of the way because um, she's proved me wrong so many times. And she just, she just, uh, you know, she knows how to do it. And so uh, I learned a lot, you know, uh, in watching, observing my children. Do you think that the young kids these days are are being born with more of this awareness than, I mean, is our species changing on a mass level is what I'm asking, hmm. really? I think there's a strong intellectual division going on right now. I think it's a very, very strong division that just like, yeah, with adults, with children as well. There are children that have come in that want to know. Mm-hmm. They don't want to see the illusions. They're not really um, seduced by a lot of the um, conditions in their external world. They're meaningful. They're deep. They are um, 
asking bigger questions. The, their interests are not so much in success and making a lot of money, and it is in meaningfulness and values and what's important to them. And a lot of and, them are interested uh, in peace as well, aren't they? Yeah, peace. So those those values, you know. And mm -hmm. and then you see on the other side the ones that are completely addicted to, you know, video games and computers and and really um, their attention spans have shortened and they need immediate gratification and they're impatient and no emotional intelligence and and uh, they're relying on everything outside of them to make them happy and that's going to be a problem someday in their future. Do you think they could be helped? Um, I think everybody can be helped. I just think that you got to want to be helped. <laughs> so and unfortunately, I think from all of my experience in studying spontaneous remissions and in the game of transformation, I think most of us wait for a crisis or trauma or disease or diagnosis or loss, you know, or we wait till we reach our lowest denominator before we decide to change, you know, and hopefully my message is why wait, you know, you can learn and change in a state of pain and suffering, or you can learn and change in a state of joy and inspiration, and I think that most people now are beginning to wake up and say, look, just teach me how, and I won't wait for that point. You've really had a huge impact ever since, what, the bleep, as far as I know, maybe before, but that's where I became aware of you, you know. And is it, um, you're talking about all these different teams that you work with, is it really growing very fast around the world? I mean, can we look at a huge, massive shift as we've been I think it about? is. I think it's really great. I mean, um, look, I'm consulting with a very large corporation in the United States in a little over a week, and... Um, this is a very successful company, and they want to learn the inner game. They want to learn what mental rehearsal does and what meditation does and how they can really, really apply it and, and create uh, more, more creativity, more innovation, more freedom of expression, more communication, more connectedness. The old model of, say, for example, businesses and organizations are beginning to crumble because success and competition and greed and selfishness and deceit and all those things – you know that's all being exposed, and you know you can only do that for so long before something else has to be, be come out. And and just like in just like the body, when an organization is in emergency, there's not a lot of energy for growth and repair. There's not a lot of energy for long-term building projects. And that's exactly how it works in companies and organizations. So teaching them how to move out of emergency mode, people want to know that they spend a third of their life in in you know at the workplace. Mm -hmm. Um. So have you been consulting with the White House yet? <laughs> I only go where I'm invited. <laughs> I figure if you could get into Congress or the White House or some of those things, it would be really helpful. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. So I know you're doing a workshop. Uh, I know you've got a whole itinerary, which perhaps you could list, but I know you're doing a workshop near us in Seattle in, in June. And I wondered, you know, if we came, what would be, what would be, what would happen? What kind of expectations <laughs> would we have about your itinerary or your... You know, I'm so passionate about our workshops. Uh, I'm very passionate about what we do because uh, I, I, in the last couple of years, I've lost interest in, um, you know, keynote presentations and conferences. I think they're great, but I think it's a lot of uh, dinner conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, my interest is really to be with people that want to do it. And so the workshop that we'll do in Seattle really is an opportunity for people to retreat from their life, Veronica, just for a short period of time for two days and one evening to remove the constant stimulation that reminds them of who they think they are in their environment, to no longer see the same people go to the same places and do the same things at the exact same time. Sort of unplug, so to speak. To unplug and to begin to learn information. And then once you get that information wired in your brain, begin to practice and make some significant changes. So in our in our progressive workshops, you will learn how to tune in potentials that exist in the quantum field and uh, create uh, some wonderful things for yourself. You'll learn how to change beliefs and perceptions about yourself and your life. You'll also learn how to find the sweet spot of the present moment. That's one of the biggest problems in the process of creation is that people aren't present. When they understand when they're there and when they're not, they have more power behind what they're doing. We will teach people... You mean in every, si in every situation, you mean? It, you know, yeah, well, if you can practice it inside of you, you should be able to demonstrate it in your life. Mm -hmm. And that uh, will teach people to emotionally rehearse, to teach people how to teach their body what it feels like to be noble, to be honorable, to be free, to be, to be um, inspired. And, and we'll, we'll, um, we'll give people a lot of great tools to, to take home uh, in their lives. Hmm. Uh, <clears throat> are you working, you're working with heart math. You're working with these kind of teams, right? Yeah, you know, um, 
I love to measure. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's what I like to do. It sounds like it. You use brain scans? What do you use? Yeah, we use quantitative electroencephalographic readings, QEEGs and EEG readings. We, you, you can go to the website and see people with their, their caps on with all their electrodes, and we measure their brain before their event. We measure their brain after the event. Now, we won't be doing that in Seattle because this is a progressive workshop, mm-hmm. but anybody who takes the progressive workshop then can come to our advanced workshop where they can get their energy field read or their brain scanned or their energy centers measured or their heart rate variability tested, all of that is available for them. And, and um, boy, I tell you, our research is only as good as our participants, and we have some pretty amazing folks doing some pretty amazing things. Mm. And, and I know that brain scans that have been done on uh, meditators, long-term meditators, or even oneness blessing people have shown a huge change in the brain. Is that what you're seeing too? Oh, yeah, we see the exact same thing. We have uh, just amazing, amazing data. Hmm. But the cool thing is that you don't have to be a Buddhist monk. You don't have to be a long-time meditator. You don't have to be a priest or a nun. You just have to be a common person, and it's a skill. The more you practice it, the better you get at it. So if we went to one session, it might be a bit, and then it would be a lot more if we went to another one. Well, most I would say that the majority of people who come, they love it. They want to continue. Mm-hmm. So what's your itinerary? Do you want to tell us about it? Wow. Let's see. Tomorrow morning I leave at 6 in the morning <clears throat> and uh, fly down to Los Angeles. And uh, they're doing a new What the Bleep uh, movie, the 10-year oh, anniversary. Are. Oh, that's exciting. So I'll do a little, comment, uh, little, do a little uh, commentating about um, what I'm up to. And, and then from there I'll uh, have dinner with a few biologists and then head off to Honolulu and I'll spend a few days there speaking at uh, university in Honolulu. And uh, then from there, I fly to Boulder, Colorado on Monday. And uh, then I'll be the keynote speaker at LOHAS, which is the, you know, the International Business Symposium for Leaders. So we can talk about that at dinner, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and then uh, I'll do a couple television shows for Guy M, uh, Guy M TV. Okay. And then I'll fly to Austin, Texas, and we'll do a progressive workshop like the one we're doing in Seattle in Austin. And uh, all, anybody who's listening is invited to that. It's a Thursday night, all day Friday, all day Saturday. And then I'll do some business consulting with a f- few companies on Sunday, believe it or not, and then fly to uh, Chicago and work with a, uh, a large company on transformation, be home on Wednesday night, and then have two days in the Seattle area, and then we do our workshop in Seattle on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And what happens past there, I, I actually don't know. <laughs> do you have, <laughs> when, when you're, okay, this is a kind of an odd question, I think, but I'm curious. Uh, when you sleep, do you, uh, uh, do you kind of direct your dreams? Do you do that sort of work as well? Um, I have in the past. Lately, uh, when I sleep, I sleep because <laughs> I've been pretty busy. Yeah, I can tell. But I was just thinking, and do you still get up every day and do and create your day? That's my job mm-hmm. to be the living example. Hmm. And is it getting more and more powerful? I mean, do you have some stories for us about your creations over the last while? Oh, I, I've had all kinds of crazy, wild things happen to me. Uh, but really, I don't really like to talk about myself too much. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it just is encouraging for us all to know that you keep unfolding, that it's an infinite potential. Because you said what the potential is in the quantum field, it's infinite, is it not? Yeah, and I think it's, but I think it's really a step-by-step process. I think, you know, if you can heal yourself, right? Say you healed yourself of cancer mm-hmm. or even a food allergy. And then the next question is, if I healed myself, can I heal someone else? Mm-hmm. And if I use energy to do that, can I, can I put information into somebody else's field? And if I can heal someone else that's laying down in front of me, is it possible to heal someone at a remote location? Well, what piece of knowledge would I have to have in order to embrace that? Well, consciousness is non-local. Oh, that makes sense. Well, then, if it's non-local, I should be able to affect somebody on the other side of the earth. Well, if I'm able to heal that person on the other side of the planet, well, then, can I heal my future self since there's no time in, in quantum physics? You know, how far down the rabbit hole you want to go? And it's only equal to the question you ask 
and then the information and knowledge that you study to allow you to accept that it's possible. Hmm. I remember when I was talking to Lynn McTaggart one time, and she was speaking about an intention experiment uh, on uh, some people in a hospital in Israel in 1995, and those people in a current time, it was probably two years ago, changed radically so that the whole time thing was irrelevant to their Yeah, intention. that's Leibovici's work, and it's kind of an exciting little experiment because the people who were prayed for in the, <clears throat> the 90s actually got better, but they weren't prayed for until 2005, I think it was. Right. So prayer worked in the past, you know, so then the question is, <clears throat> can you contact your future self that already exists, and what future self would you like to contact and develop connection with them to affect your present self. You know, that starts to get really dimensional and exciting. Do you practice that as well? Oh, I always do, yeah. That's, in our advanced workshops, we, we talk a lot about moving from uh, space-time to time-space, that, that kind of slip in dimension that takes place. And uh, we talk about the neurotransmitters on how to do that and what it looks like, and uh, people have had some pretty mystical experiences. That's really exciting, isn't it? It is really exciting. It really, you never, you, you could care less about the person who cut you off on the freeway after one of those. You could care less about how much money you have in a bank account. You start realizing that we are not linear beings, that we're dimensional beings living a dimensional life. We're just, we're conditioned thinking that this is one linear process. So let's include, this is funny, <laughs> let's include a little conversation about uh, ETs here. Okay. <laughs> what would you like to talk I'm about? I'm just being playful. As we go into these different dimensions, because I like to work that way too sometimes, and uh, I just wondered if they are different beings or if they're a part of us or if it's all just part of the great mosaic of consciousnesses. Well, uh, I believe in dimensional beings mm -hmm. more than I believe in extraterrestrials, although I think extraterrestrials are dimensional beings because they come, most of them come from another dimension. But uh, they're real. I've interacted and had experiences, and I think there's been a very strong conspiracy and cover-up to keep people, you know, believing in some really, really limited doctrines. Uh, in the moment the, the exposure or disclosure takes place, it's going to rearrange the nature of the world, and that's, uh, I don't know, at some level I think sometimes with all the movies and media and television now about ETs, I think it's all kind of an indoctrination uh, for the for the big event when, you know, we start realizing that our roots and that our history has everything to do with our interaction with some of these gods or some of these advanced beings and some that really um, have other agendas. But mm -hmm. um, I think it's time that uh, the truth be told. Isn't, isn't uh, indoctrination kind of collective belief marketing? Yeah, but someone's got to be doing the indoctrination. Someone's got to be doing the cover-up. You know, someone's got to be So where do you think that comes the, from? Yeah, and, you know, the beauty behind what's happening in our world right now, which I'm so passionate about, is information. I mean, look, 25 years ago, you had to go to the University of Washington Library to look up something on the cerebellum. Mm -hmm. Now you can get on the Internet and do it in two minutes. Yeah, that's uh, right. And um, if you want to find out about anything, you can... You can be an expert in it. You can educate yourself to know as much as an expert. And that's giving pe people, you know, their power back. So now that paternalistic view of reality where we have to go to some patriarch or matriarch to find answers is starting to change, you know. We're starting to develop our own answers and our own opinions, and that starts freeing people from the indoctrination and the control that's so readily, uh, you know, persistent. Yeah, because the corruptions are certainly revealing themselves, aren't they? It's about time. <laughs> well, it's kind of shattering for a lot of people, but I believe it's the evolution of the species, don't you? Of course. I mean, mm -hmm. if, the, if you're going to bring in something new, the old has to fall apart, and that's, uh, that's exactly what's happening. It's very exciting. I like what you say about the disclosure. I wonder what that's going to look like. Because back to what we said about it being multidimensional beings, I go, well, I, disclosure to me has a whole different meaning then. Yeah, I think uh, you can only control it to a certain point, and I think people's level of awareness is changing. So if you never look for it, you never see it. You start looking for it, you see it more. Mm -hmm. You believe you're worthy enough to begin to interact with some of these other cultures, and you make an effort to do that, you know, bring your seatbelt because your life's going to change. And so nobody's excluded from this phenomenon, and, and that's what makes it so wonderful.
And so if we go into our future, yeah, I agree with you. That, that's very helpful. Thank you. If we go into our future selves, we can actually heal a lot of what's going on in our life today, right? <laughs> Remember, uh, time and space are not conditions in which we live, but modes in which we think. That was Einstein. Oh, isn't he brilliant? He's smart for a man, wasn't he? He, he knew a few things. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so, so let's talk about, uh, like, money. I guess, that, you know, it sort of makes me think that if, if we're thinking like this, money itself is not irrelevant, but it sort of takes on a whole different power, doesn't it? Does well, money's it? energy. You mm -hmm. know, I tell my kids all the time, just think about what kind of relationship you want to have with money. Mm-hmm. How, you know, what kind of relationship? Do you want to have a scarcity relationship with money? Do you want to have that idea there's never enough or that it's bad? Or, um, But if you see it as energy that allows you to do what you want to do, then, you know, you change your view about it. And, um, you know, I always say to my kids, you don't need money to do what you want to do. You need, you need to create the experience. And so, you know, what's the sponsoring thought about money? What mm -hmm. most people want, the sponsoring thought, of the reason why they want money is what they really want is freedom. Mm -hmm. So that's a sponsoring thought. Or so safety. They want, they think they're going to get safety. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then that emotional state is the state you should get up as every day, totally free and totally secure, and then allow the experiences to come to be equal to who you're being. That's wonderful. I love that. So let's jump into another issue that's going on these days, the issue of food and the GMOs and that kind of thing. Can you talk a bit about that, and can we influence that? Well, all of that is driven by profits. Whether you're talking about GMOs, you're talking about pharmaceutical companies that are lying to people about drugs. I mean, it's all the same. Again, we're getting to the point where... It's kind of a conspiracy thing. It's a profit-driven corporate um, government, mm -hmm. and that the very laws are written to take care of these corporations that really have a, a, a select few people that actually move back and forth from the government to the corporation. And so... If you don't like GMOs, grow your own food. That's mm. the bottom line. I mean, if you don't like GMOs, stand up and make sure that you are uh, bold enough to not buy them and talk to your local uh, grocery store and tell them that you will not eat them and, and uh, make an effort that if enough people start doing that, then the Monsantos and the, and the um, uh, you know, DuPonts and whoever else that's running the show will have to really start thinking about sustainability, not just because... They can sell more products, but sustainability for the human species, you know. Mm -hmm. I also was thinking that um, even how we visualize or how we experience our food in our future selves, I suppose, will have a huge impact, won't it? Absolutely, but you still have to make the right choices. It's not enough to visualize. You've got to demonstrate it. I mean, look, it's not hard to grow a garden, and it's so important to have one. Mm -hmm. And when you eat food out of your, the earth and you pick it right away and it's filled with proper nutrients and it's still alive. Uh, and you f it's filled with love? It's filled with love and it's you're tending your own garden. I mean, it's, a, it's an empowering thing. Yeah, and we really have the ability to feed and clothe and water the whole world, don't we? Very, very easily. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be a contagious thought process, I think. It's going to reach critical mass sooner or later. Yeah, that's coming. So this is, this is very, very... Uh, uh, revolutionary thinking for people. It's your politics. <laughs> well, listen, you know, if you want to change the world, you know, you better ask yourself. If there's a crisis in the world, I was just in Spain and I had an opportunity to speak to the, the government of Catalonia in northern Spain and they were asking Yay. me some questions because they were developing these ministries for change. And they were talking about the crisis and I said the first question every single one of us should be asking in this room is how am I contributing to the crisis? <laughs> Once uh -huh. you get clear on what that is, everybody's asking themselves that question, there won't be a crisis. If you don't like war, stop warring with your coworker. If you want peace, you better demonstrate peace on the bus or when you're driving your car. That we have to really become the living example of it. And really, that's what my work is about. My, well, did they my respond well to that. you? Oh, God, they were so thankful. It was really great. Well, now we're going to watch Spain, aren't we? Yeah, we transform an individual, you transform a culture. So what uh, different cultures are you going to next? <laughs> oh, gosh, I, I don't know. I'll be in Germany this year. Uh, God, I just came from Italy. Um, 
Now, this is very, very exciting. I, I'm not being trivial here. I, I'm very excited about the fact we can change the world mind. Well, look, I mean, that's, that's the most important thing, I think, right now. I mean, yeah. contributing to the whole. Could you give people something specific to do to check themselves with before yeah, we and, leave? Uh, I, I literally have to go in one minute here. So mm -hmm. my recommendation, <clears throat> wake up every morning and ask yourself the same question. You know, what is the greatest ideal of myself that I can be today? And make the choice to not get up until you are that person. And begin to think about what, how, what behaviors and choices you are going to demonstrate and what emotions you want to teach your body. And become familiar with those old states of thought and and attitudes and behaviors become so conscious of them you would never go unconscious again that's when you begin the journey because if you're getting up in a new state of being every day that new state of being is going to create new experiences in your life and they will come in a way that you least expect that surprises you and leaves no doubt that what you did inside of you produced that result outside of you so that you're inspired to do it again and everybody uh, uh, is uh, is uh, capable of doing it Thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. I know you're in a very tight schedule. Uh, we just thank you so much for joining us today. Well, great. Paradigm I hope to see you guys in Seattle on the 28th. Okay. I hope you will, too. Okay. Take, I'll be sitting and visualizing it. Okay. We'll see you soon. Take care. Safe travels. Bye. Bye. What an insightful experience of hearing Dr. Joe Dispenza in person talking about neuroplasticity that you and I can have access to multidimensional reality creating way beyond the illusion that sometimes stifles our fulfillment. I'm so excited about his work and others who are really pushing consciousness because I really believe it's the time in this huge collective of ours where we can choose to up our consciousness at a rate that is unprecedented. This is Veronica Antwistle saying thank you so much for listening to Paradigm Shifters. And that was certainly a paradigm shifter. So please give me feedback on my website, veronicaantwistle.com. And any suggestions for guests, people that you want to hear from, I'd love to hear from you about that as well. Or if you need a session with me, veronicaantwistle.com. So many blessings and thank you for listening.